Um, as you know, we are uh, part three of a tiny series called Heart the Herald, uh, which started only just last Sunday with Dan talking glory to God in the highest. And then for those of you that were here on Tuesday, uh, Jane spoke on peace on earth. And this week we're going to look at goodwill to men. And I just want to read you a short kind of excerpt about a cartoon character. So uh, if you just settle yourselves down, make yourselves comfortable, and I'll read this and then we'll lead into a clip. Charlie Brown is depressed. He's had no Christmas cards through his door. He's bored with receiving stupid toys. And he's particularly annoyed that Snoopy, in an attempt to win the local lights display contest, has a very OTT decorated doghouse. He's ticked off that his younger sister Lucy wants him to take a dictation of her letter to Santa, which after a long list of requests end by saying, just send money, particularly tens and twenties. After visiting Lucy in her psychiatric booth for advice, Charlie Brown decides to direct a school nativity play, but sadly the kids want to modernise it with lively music and dance. Charlie Brown, in an attempt to bring the proper mood to the play, decides to buy a Christmas tree and he leaves. Um, and as he leaves, Lucy tells him to get a big, shiny aluminium tree, possibly painted pink. With Linus in tow, they get to the tree market and Charlie zeroes in on the only remaining living tree on the lot, a small baby and fairly bare tree, to which Linus remarks with shock, gee, do they still make wooden Christmas trees? <laughs> on returning to the school auditorium, Charlie is verbally castigated by the rest of the cast for his choice, and especially by Lucy for the lack of pink aluminium. Now, I don't know whether you can relate at all to that, maybe not to Charlie Brown, but just to the, some of the feelings and frustrations that are contained within that. And Charlie Brown gets to this point where he kind of says, what is the meaning of Christmas? It surely can't be about pink aluminium Christmas trees or about, well, I don't know about lively music and dance. I think we'd all agree that's okay. Anyway, let's, let's pick up the clip and then I'll, I'll come back at you. Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I don't think I need to say any more, do I? That's what Christmas is all about. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill, um, goodwill to men. 
But what is this season of goodwill? Is it just about being kind, being courteous, being particularly benevolent, perhaps sending a gift to somebody you wouldn't normally wish to send one to but feel inspired to? You know, there kind of seems to be this kind of warm and fuzzy feeling about this season of goodwill. And I read this week uh, while preparing for this about some illustrations of when goodwill goes wrong. I've only got three, and if you'd laugh at the right places, I would be hugely appreciative. If you could extend some goodwill to me this morning, I'd be appreciative. The first one, my wife still hasn't spoken to me since Christmas. I asked her what she wanted for Christmas, and she said, oh, just surprise me. So, at three o'clock Christmas morning, I leaned over and went, boo! Cheap present for all you husbands out there. Sorted. No need to go on Amazon anymore. Dad suggested that the family get him a gift that the whole family could get something out of. So they did. They bought him a wallet. (laughs) You're all writing down. I think you're writing sermon notes. You're writing Christmas ideas, aren't you? And finally, my favourite, a kindly 90-year-old grandmother found buying presents for family and friends a bit much, so one Christmas she wrote out cheques for all of them to put in with their Christmas cards. In each card she wrote, buy your own present, and sent them off. After the Christmas festivities were over, she found the cheques on her desk, therefore realising everyone had had a Christmas card saying, buy your own present. Now, as we've all given our money to the third place, I'm loving that option. There seems to be this kind of benevolent, warm, Laura Ashley, fuzzy feeling around Christmas about the season of goodwill. Um, But actually, I want us just to kind of step back from that, because I think it is something way, way, way more monumental than that that's took place in, in the verses that we read, which is to do with God's goodwill towards us. What we perhaps don't realise in just reading that that bit that Linus kindly read for us from Peanuts, um, is that this is a one-time only event in Scripture. There are a number of times when uh, there are angelic visitations particularly in the Christmas narrative. Zechariah had one turn up next to the altar who he saw visibly in front of him by the altar. Mary had an angel turn up, again, visibly in front of her. Joseph had three dreams where an angel turned up. So there's a number of angelic moments in the Christmas narrative. But what makes this particular scripture, what makes this, um, these verses so profound and so poignant is this is the only time that the heavenly hosts turn up in scripture. Firstly, they come out in force. As I said, you get the odd occasion where one or two turn up, but this is one time when they all pitch up on force. Not only that, do they break out into our natural world? As I've just mentioned, for Zechariah and for Mary, an angel literally came into the natural world and appeared before them. For Joseph, it was he experienced it in a dream. But here we have the whole of the heavenly host breaking into the natural realm, the only time this happens in the history of the world and the history of Scripture. Not only that, the multitudes speak as one voice. It's not just one of them who, there is an angel initially that speaks, but then he is joined by the heavenly host who all just then speak in unison. 
And what I think is particularly amazing is they share with us the sound of heaven. Let me just unpack some of that stuff. There's loads of occasions in the Bible when individuals encounter an angel or they get a vision. In the book of Revelation, John starts to see into the heavenly realms and the work of the angels. But this is the only time that they actually en masse break into our world, into our space, our time, our dimension, and they proclaim this heavenly anthem. It's like a harmonious heralding of the greatest event that heaven and earth would ever see. Why? Why did they choose this one occasion? Because God himself had broken into our world. It wasn't like he was seating in the heavenly realms and influencing the world or orchestrating events or, or you know, having an effect. This was God himself breaking into our earthly world. He himself had come with skin on and he had come to live and exist in our earthly world. And in my kind of weirdness, I can almost imagine the angels kind of watching this take place. They would have seen the conversation in heaven And they would have seen God himself break into our natural world. And I don't think they wanted to miss out on that moment. So they themselves were like, well, if God's going in in all his fullness, then so are we. Come on. I can imagine the heavenly host going, if God's going in in all his fullness, then let's grab the moment and let's break into the natural world as well. The song that we get a glimpse of, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men, is an anthem that would have been singing in heaven anyway. The angels sing praises to God, worthy, holy, glory. And just for this moment in time, we get a glimpse, we get to hear that heavenly anthem that constantly resounds in the heavenly realms, brought into the natural world. Heaven couldn't contain itself any longer, and it burst into our natural world for this one time only occasion. Such was the momentousness of the occasion, God's goodwill to man, that had always been present, but right now had gone to a whole new modus operandi. God's salvation plan just took one giant leap forward. And I imagine the angels high-fiving and woo, 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 as God came down to earth, and they just had to be a part of that. Obviously, that's my interpretation as opposed to the Luke version. Just want to quickly say one thing about God's favor, God's favor. I'm not going to unpack that um, too much because of time, but some of those translations, if you've got an NIV or a new international version or an NLT, new living translation, it doesn't say goodwill. Many of the the references, uh, many of the translations don't say goodwill. The NIV says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. How many of you got that version? Quite a number of you. If you've got an NLT, it's glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth, peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. And it can read a bit like, well, that's great if you're one of the ones that God's pleased with. That's great. Glory to God, peace on earth for those with whom he's pleased. Peace on earth. Can't say that word. What's gone wrong? I'm remembering last Christmas, earth, earth. And it can feel like, well, it's great, but it's only peace on earth if you're under God's favor. But I just want to shatter that illusion if perhaps this Christmas you're thinking, well, God clearly has favorites and I'm not one of them. Look at their life. Look how blessed their life is. Look at my life. God's clearly favored them and not me. 
I just want to shatter that and just tell you that is not the truth. You are favoured by God. And the coming of Jesus was proof of this. In Isaiah 61, there is a prophecy about Jesus coming. Um, and it says, and I'm, this is a t- I've snippeted it really short, the Lord has anointed me. And it goes on to say, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then when Jesus arrives and he stands up in the temple, he says, this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, with his coming, all are favoured. All God is pleased with. There are no favourites. I am proof that God, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. You are favoured by God this morning. God is pleased with you. The person sat next to you is not more favoured than you or God's favourite more than you are. God is well pleased with you. God is extending his favour to you. He is extending his good will to you. And we can hear that in this angelic message that is straight out of heaven. It's not out of my words, it's straight out of heaven that you are favoured by God. Everything that Jesus did when he lived was for us. If you look through the scriptures, if you look through the verses, you'll find for us, for us, for us, for us. Everything that Jesus did when he came was for you, for us, for you, for us. You are favoured by God this morning. This goodwill of God that broke into our natural world and created this anthemic heavenly chorus is celebration of God's goodwill for you today, this Christmas. But this angelic anthem, okay, this is where it gets equally exciting, is a duet with earth. That is going on in the heavenly realms 24-7, but the duet part of that is how we live our lives and how we sing our songs. The angel chorus in that moment spanned both heaven and earth. It was happening in the heavenlies. It was happening here on earth. And just for that moment in time, it spanned both dimensions. But as quickly as the angels came, they went. And it's up to us, like the shepherds, to keep the song going. I don't know how many people that you meet in your daily lives that can hear the heavenly song, can hear the heavenly realms. It's up to you to be the heralders of goodwill among men. Some of the carols that we sing over this time are very familiar, aren't they? They become so um, repetitive at times, year in, year out. We can forget the power of the words, but just let me lift out some verses, uh, some words from Hark the Herald. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's an endorsement, an encouragement for us to pick up the heralding and to join with the angels in proclaiming Jesus Christ. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. He goes on to say, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Let men and women their songs employ. Let's repeat the sounding joy. We are carriers of goodwill. We are carriers of the song. We are heralders of goodwill among men. I'm a big Casting Crowns fan, which I know quite a number of you are as well, and I was eagerly awaiting their new album, and I was very excited to see the title when I got it on pre-order, and it was, it's uh, called Until the Whole World Hears. Well, for an evangelist like me, that's just an album title that I just want to respond to, Until the Whole World Hears, and I waited, and it's arrived about a month ago, and it's been on constant play in my car, but the title track, which is track one on the album, is Until the Whole World Hears. And some of the lyrics from that say, Lord, I want my life to be the song you sing. 
Isn't that fantastic? I want my life to be the song that you sing. Could my life be a song of God in this world? Lord, I want my life to be the song you sing. I want to be your hands and feet. Let us shine the light of Jesus in the darkest night. Until the whole world hears, Lord, we're calling out, lifting up your name for all to hear the sound. Like voices in the wilderness, we're crying out. We'll sing until the whole world hears. And I want to be a person that sings until the whole world hears. Not just with my words, but also with my life. Because often our, li- our lives speak louder, don't they, than our words. A 12th century men, a monk, St. Francis of Assisi, is attributed with this phrase, although it's not his, it's kind of from his generation. But he, he's attributed to saying, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And this Christmas, we have an opportunity to do both, don't we? We have an opportunity to share the Christmas message, but we also have an opportunity to demonstrate the Christmas message through goodwill. So what is your life heralding this Christmas? Is it stress? Is it Christmas lists? Is it cooking? Or is there capacity within you to extend goodwill to men on top of all of that? Got some four-pointers Uh, towards that end because I think extending goodwill is a choice we're all kind of nice to people that we like aren't we but actually to extend goodwill is often you know a choice of the will to extend goodness towards somebody so this Christmas why don't we walk across a room we use that phrase a lot here in Zion and uh, I had a phenomenal week this week it's been absolutely incredible it started uh, with Dan's amazing talk on Sunday and uh, And then Monday evening, we had our concluding evening explore course, and uh, Stephen Jones and I were there, and we had the amazing privilege of sitting with a young lad called Matt as he crossed the threshold from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I sat there, and I was beside myself. I didn't show it too much outwardly, nor did Stephen. And, uh, but we sat there, and inside, every part of me was exploding Because I thought, it's half past nine on a winter's Monday night, the, whatever it was, 29th of November. And yet, I'm experiencing heaven touching earth right at this moment in this coffee shop in Hales Owen in Great Britain. A life that is being totally changed for eternity. It was a phenomenal moment. You know, we've been singing, you know, I found a love that's greater than life itself. This young lad found a love. He once was lost, but now he's fine. He once was blind, but now he sees. It was an incredible moment. And I thought, this is church. This is church. It's one life and we need way more than just one. But that one was fantastic. We need that replicated. We need that magnified. We need that multiplied across the life of this church. It was a phenomenal, holy, heavenly encounter in earth moment. So I really want to encourage you, think about walking across a room this Christmas and inviting somebody. Matt is where he is today because very little to do with me. It's a lot of other people who've had influence in his life, who've walked across a room, who've offered friendship, who've included him in their family, who've extended Jesus to him. All of those people have walked across rooms and the result is Matt now has a whole different eternity. And I've been really humbled, shamed, embarrassed, I don't know what the right word is, by some of your responses to the Christmas invitations. You know, I'm supposed to be the evangelist on church and I have to think, how many people am I inviting to the Christmas carol events? At the moment, it's about two. 
But when I was doing the tickets the other week, I had one uh, lady came up to me and she wanted 20 tickets. And uh, the week before, I had had another guy come up who wanted 18. And they are people who are inviting family, friends, colleagues, neighbours, the milkman, the postman, the next... Everyone on their radar, they are inviting. And it really hit me because I thought, wow, you guys should be doing my job. This is what we are about as churches, walking across the street, walking across our neighbourhood, walking across our office and inviting them to potentially hear the life-changing news that they could, that Jesus Christ and God's goodwill is extended towards them. So why don't you think about how you could extend goodwill to somebody this Christmas by inviting them, particularly to the 20th or any of our Christmas events. You just never know where it could go. And as Leon said, all they can do is say no. But just think what could possibly come out of that if they said yes. Secondly, perhaps we need to walk an extra mile. When I thought about goodwill, it made me realize that actually it is a choice and sometimes it's the most powerful moments are when it's most inconvenient. And I had a classic moment of that this week on Wednesday evening. So Monday was Matt. And Wednesday, uh, Derek and I were in the office. It was about 20 past five. We were the only ones in the office. I was closing down my computer. I had my coat half on. And I had a little thing in my mind. Right, I, I'm meeting a friend at Dudley at half past seven. I've got a couple of hours. I'm going to nip home. And I'll take my computer with me. I might throw some you know, pearls of wisdom into my sermon of goodwill. I had it all mapped out in my head and the side door, which is just down here, the bell rang and I thought, oh, flipping heck, who's that? And so Derek wasn't moving very fast, so I thought, well, it'll be down. <laughs> not because he was, he talked to me in the break, not because he wasn't willing to answer the door. He just didn't hear it, so... I went down um, to uh, the door and I opened it thinking, oh, please don't be anything major. I mean, I know we're a church and we're here for people, but not at 25 on a Wednesday. Opened the door and there's this little girl stood there and I thought, oh, she looks about 14. And I thought, oh, right, okay. And she extended towards me this little piece of red paper, which is a food bank voucher. And she said, can you help me? I need some food. I still confess for a moment, I thought, oh my gosh. And then fortunately, the compassion kicked in a few seconds later. And I went, oh my gosh, absolutely, come in, come in, come in. Brought her up to the office. She was shivering. She had a pair of jeans on and a long sleeve top. A purse in her hand, which I later found out had two pounds in. She had a food bank voucher. And um, anyway, cut long story. I tried to get hold of Anne and I then found out I had Anne's wrong number. Um, and... Uh, and then I tried Chris and he put me, said, I think you'll find Wendy Fry is next door in Titex still at the food bank warehouse. Uh, he said, the lights are still on. So I said to, I'll call her Amy. I said to Amy, uh, okay, let's pop next door and just see how we might be able to help you. And she'd gone from this nervous little girl to a slight kind of, not suspicion, but wariness. Took her next door. And as I came out the side door, it was all in pitch black. And I thought, oh no, Wendy's not there. Don't know what I'm going to do now. And um, but as it happened, as we went into the car park, I saw Wendy getting into her car. So I yelled across the car park, and Wendy caught Wendy just before she got on. That's the second miracle. The first miracle was that we were here when the doorbell went. Second miracle, we caught Wendy. So she opens up, shutters back, the whole warehouse is illuminated. We go around, and we get three days' worth of food for Amy. 
Then Wendy says to her, well, do you have... We found out in the process of doing that, she'd been thrown out of home last weekend by her alcoholic mother. And she'd been living at various different places during the week. She stayed through her connections advisor at a hostel in Netherton uh, the night before, two nights before, and she'd been robbed there, which is why all she had was a pa- her purse with two pounds in. So because she didn't want to go back to the hostel the night before, so that had been Tuesday night, she stayed at her boyfriend's. She didn't particularly want to stay at her boyfriend's, but she literally had nowhere to go. So we got her toiletries and toothbrush, and she was just so sweet, saying, oh, no, I, I don't mind, I'll just have that. I was like, oh, no, let's get you a good one, let's get you a Colgate one. I find all the pink and purple ones out, and, you know, choose this, and would you like some soap? Well, no, I'll be okay. No, no, let's get you some really nice shower gel. And it was great going along with a little basket up and down the aisles, like a proper shop, filling, <laughs> filling this basket for her. And uh, when we were having this conversation, it then found out that she had, had slept the night at her boyfriend's. And she said, well, we shared a blow-up airbed. We've got one blanket and one pillow, but my boyfriend won't share the pillow. So she'd bundle up her jumper, I think. So there we were, duvet off the shelf, pillow, nightshirt. Then we realised she only had the clothes she stood up in because her mum had thrown her out. So a whole load of clothes, new boots, um, new shoes. Um, you know, a coat, jumper, the whole. And this pile was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And her eyes were getting bigger and bigger. And her gratitude was getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, and it was just a phenomenal moment. And I kept thinking, but I've got a sermon on goodwill to write. <laughs> I really haven't got time for all this food bank clothing malarkey. <laughs> you know, I've got like, oh, I've only got an hour now to get my sermon done. It was a really amazing experience. So we looked at this pile and Wendy, and we're trying to imagine this little girl. We said, well, where do you live? She's all so- somewhere near Tipton. Wasn't too sure because she'd only gone the night before. I said, Wendy, well, I'll take her. We'll figure out where she lives. So we bundled it all in my car. There's no way this little girl was. She found out she was 18, that she was going to get on the bus with all of this stuff. So we bundled it into my car. And as we were driving towards Tipton, she said, oh, I really was hoping for some bread and some socks. I said, no worries, Tesco, Dudley. In we went. Gave her the basket, said, right, what do we need? Bread, milk, cheese. Oh, buy one, get one free. More cheese. <laughs> and then we got to the socks. So she, I said, look, just choose whatever socks you want. She'd gone for, like, the basics, you know, one little pair for 50p. I'm like, no, that's not going to do you any good. Get the best socks. Do you need underwear? Girl like you needs good underwear. Choose yourself. I won't look at what you choose. Get yourself some clean underwear. Let's, you know, we were just piling up this basket. It was brilliant. And honestly, it was just a phenomenal moment. Get in the car. And then I said, right, we need to find your boyfriend's house. It's now about quarter past seven. Supposed to be meeting at someone at half seven. Still very inconvenient, wasn't it, really, when, you know, I've got a sermon to write and friends to meet. Anyway, I texted my friend and said, I'm going to be a bit late, a bit tied up. So anyway, we headed over towards Tips, and she didn't really know where she lived. I said, do you know any landmarks? She said, well, I know the pie factory. So we headed towards the pie factory. We got to the pie factory. I said, where's from here? She goes, I have no idea. She said, all I know is I got the 311 bus. As she said that, the 311 bus <laughs> came along the road. Miracle number three, or probably number 303 by then. So we followed for the next 20 minutes <laughs> the, the 311 bus, nearly to Wensbury. And every time it stopped, we stopped. Every stop we got to, I said, is this your stop, Amy? No, not this one. Do you know where we, where we go from here? No. Okay, we'll just park behind the bus for a while. I said to her, this guy's going to think we're a stalker. (laughs) This driver, every time he pulls in, a little black Peugeot sneaks in behind. 
Anyway, I took her, dropped her off, met her boyfriend, unloaded all this stuff into the 11th floor flat, and she was sorted. But isn't that so true of us all, that goodwill is about walking an extra mile and being prepared to be inconvenienced? I think most of the genuine goodwill that we could do this year is of that type of thing, isn't it? Not necessarily to that scale, but it's taking that moment that God presents and being willing to be inconvenienced, willing to put your own schedule, your own agenda aside and just meeting the need. And again, I thought, this is church. Monday, 9.30, coffee shop, this is church. Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, Wensbury, this is church. Walk across a room, walk an extra mile. A couple of last things. Walk towards forgiveness. One of the greatest acts of goodwill you can do to, is to forgive someone who has hurt you, let you down, disappointed you. Perhaps we carry from one Christmas to the next resentment, bitterness and anger. And maybe it's time to forgive. Maybe you need to walk towards forgiveness. The person that will benefit the most is you. When you carry on forgiveness in your life, it's like a ball and chain that you constantly drag with you. And when you choose to forgive somebody, the key unlocks and the person who's most free is you. And you could experience an even greater level of inner goodwill from God if you chose to forgive. Not that I mean God likes you more or blesses you more, but the healing and wholeness that will come into your heart through forgiveness will be a further experience of God's goodwill to you. So why don't you walk towards forgiveness? And finally, walk in somebody else's shoes. I'm sure many of you know the little ditty, before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, Nicola Marshall sent an email uh, the other week that had a bit of a funny twist on this. Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away. <laughs> and you have their shoes. I love that. But it just made me think very quickly. Think about some, what you could do perhaps for somebody this Christmas where Christmas isn't going to be what it should be. A food bank is a great example of that. We've experienced that this week. And Tom and I had another guy in late on Friday night, similar thing where we had to kind of rally around outside of the rules and the boundaries and the time restrictions to help him. Guy whose wife had just left him, had a two-week-old baby and had to give up his job to look after the baby and had no food. So please keep your giving to the food bank. You've been amazing at how you've given to the food bank. And Christmas, you may start feeling the pinch. But don't forget the food bank. Walk in somebody else's shoes while you're accumulating lots of great stuff for Christmas. And I know that's not all of you, but for many of you, lots of stuff for your own table. Think about walking in someone else's shoes who maybe doesn't have anything. Let's keep filling up the food bank box. You may know somebody that needs to come to our Christmas Day lunch, or you yourself may be able to help with that. Somebody to walk in their shoes, you know, they're going to be on their own for Christmas. So maybe think about helping out the day before or helping on the day or knowing somebody. Somebody at the 9 o'clock came to me and they're going to invite their neighbour to Christmas Day lunch because they know if they thought for a moment what it would be like to be in their shoes, it wouldn't be quite so great being on their own. The other thing I've noticed in the bulletin today is the fact that the soup run dates are in there, which they regularly are, but I noticed there's a soup run on the 31st of December and it took me a while, but I got there in the end and I realised that's New Year's Eve. And I thought, gosh, there's a challenge to walk in somebody else's shoes. Do I want to go to a New Year's Eve party? Or do you want to think about the people on the streets of Birmingham and go and take them some soup? Which actually, you'd be done by 8 o'clock and you wouldn't miss your party. But there's loads of ways this Christmas we can think what it is like to be in somebody else's shoes and extend grace 
towards them. A Purple Ronnie Christmas card. You never thought you'd hear Purple Ronnie mentioned in church, but Purple Ronnie Christmas card says, Some people think that Christmas time is gifts and grub and booze, but the best bit is that Jesus came, God's son in human shoes. We're just going to conclude with a short DVD clip now that challenges to say, what about now? What about today? Because it's easy to think, well, I will walk across the room one day. I will give an extra mile. Not today because it's inconvenient, but another day. I will walk towards forgiveness maybe next year when I've got my head around it. But what about now? What about today? What about this Christmas? And in doing that, maybe God is making you all that you could be. Because every time we replicate the goodwill of God to us, in replicating that to other people, we become more and more what we were meant to be. If you could show the clip, thanks, Chris. What about now? What about this Christmas? All of those individuals that have done phenomenal works in terms of compassion and charity have all walked across a room, haven't they? They've walked an extra mile, possibly walked towards forgiveness, and they've definitely walked in somebody else's shoes. And if they can do it, so can the Church of Jesus Christ.